I just had this thought, and maybe it applies to uh, many of you, probably does, and it's this, that uh, no matter what situation that you're in today, no matter what challenge you find yourself in today, no matter the reason that you came to this room here today, this building today, God is for you. And uh, if you have made the same mistake over and over again, God's answer is usually the same. I'm here to help. And I have a solution for that. If you're like been pursuing the things of the Lord and you're just like, I just can't seem to get disciplined in that area, God goes, I'm here to help. And no matter what situation you're in, God is here to help. And sometimes people think because, even think because, well, I knew that was the, the wrong choice to make or God told me not to do it and I still did it anyway. They think they're left to their own devices. And he specializes in working with people who make bad choices. He's really good. And maybe you're not as far along as you'd like to be and you'd like to accelerate certain things. And so the word of the Lord to you is, it's a season of acceleration. I remember I was in uh, Switzerland uh, about three years ago now, last time I was there, and uh, one year I had uh, been there and I'd done a conference, the next year they invited me to come back to do a smaller school of their school of ministry, and um, the, the first year I was there, this couple on the leadership team, they had just given, uh, they just had a little boy. He was obviously an infant then. The next year I saw him the day before the school started. I said, our little boy is getting big and he's just starting to walk. I said, oh, cool. So after the first uh, session was over, there was a little break and we were going to go, you know, snacks or something, coffee. And they said, come see our son who is walking now. And I looked over and this little boy is going like this, and they're going, they're so excited. He wasn't walking quite yet. But with their help, he was taking some steps. And the Lord said to me, that's how I look at you when you decide to walk in the right direction. You're not quite mature to walk on your own, but I'll help you every step of the way. So give yourself the grace and the love that God gives you if you're not quite along on, on where you need to be. And here's another thing. I know this will be very, this is deep thought this morning. Everyone in here has issues. And if you don't think you have issues, you just quite haven't discovered how many issues you have. And most people who are born again who don't discover continually that they have issues, I'm not so like your horrible person, just, there's layers to this life in God. And he's the light of the world. And he wants to make, he says, we are the light of the world, but the closer you get to the light, the more what is not in the light gets exposed. One of the, one of the, the, the marks of being able to mature in the things of the Lord is the ability to be self-aware and the ability to go, oh, that's, that's not right. That's not right thinking. That's not healthy. But somehow, sometimes I find now, 20 years working with believers, some of the most delusional people are born again, spirit-filled people. Delusion begins where you're not willing to accept the truth about certain areas of your life. So, the point is, let the light come in. Don't beat yourself up about it. Work through it. 
work through people, ask people to forgive you if you've made some mistakes along the way, but be open to the idea that you have not arrived yet. Somehow, this thing comes in the body of Christ when people have been born again for a while. They have, you know, they, they give them a title or something that somehow that they still don't have areas that they need to work in. And you know what the, the lie is, is because you have fruitfulness in one area that you still don't need to grow in other areas. The great, I, I love that great story in Matthew 16 where Peter, like, nails it out of the park in the Jesus Christ School of Ministry. He goes, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And then the next moment, I, I'm, I am absolutely convinced God puts those two stories back to back. Because the next story, Jesus starts telling, I'm going to suffer many things, son of man. And Peter's like, this does not go along with all the other messages I've heard about the kingdom. And I'm supposed to be in your administration. We're supposed to take over. I got some people that abused me with this tax thing. And I, I got, you know, we got, some, we got some agenda here. And Peter's like, far be it from me. Like, like, Lord, no. And what does he tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan, for your mind. Isn't that amazing? How powerful your mind is. Your mind can be perfectly aligned with the word of God in one area but thinking like the devil in the world system in another area. Doesn't mean you're a devil, just means you're thinking like him. That's why, he need, that's why he says your, your mind needs to be renewed. So Acts 13, <laughs> that was my introduction. Acts 13, verse 36, one of my favorite thousand verses in scripture. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. Whether you realize it or not, as a born-again believer, how many are born again this morning? Amen. Amen. How many are not going to answer the question, even if I asked it five times? <laughs> Don't answer that either. But if you are in Christ, let, let's establish this first. If you are in Christ... The vision and the goal of God for your life is not to get you to heaven. It gets quiet with that one, but it's really true. You read anywhere in the Gospels and apostolic teaching, you'll never find in there, or you never find even when Jesus invites his disciples to walk with him, you never find him say, behold, I have come so you can die and go to heaven. Never says it. What he does do is he invites them to walk with him and then the apostolic command, and it's a command, it's not a suggestion, according to Ephesians 5, verse 1, is to be imitators of God. And the reason that I'm making this point, because it's no small point, is because if you have the incorrect vision of God for your life, then you will not fulfill the full purpose of God for your life. Heaven was always meant to be a consequence of becoming like him. Say that again. Heaven was meant to be a consequence of becoming like him. John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know him. So eternal life began the moment you got saved. If you are not in Christ, if you are not born again, then you're dead already. <laughs> There's no life in that. In fact, you're probably one step close of me to, to mental illness. Why? Because you can't, to, 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 to God created us to see reality correctly. It's one of the gifts of walking with him. And if you are not in Christ, 
the way you view the world is completely distorted. That's why it's very rare I have certain conversations with, born, with people who are not born again because they will not understand my perspective. They will not understand my viewpoint of things because they have a limited view of the world. And so God's goal, here, here's, here's, here's how the Apostle Paul actually saw his worldview. This was his worldview, and this is why even I believe God chose him. Paul would not understand this concept of even like you lead somebody to the Lord and they're born again. He, de- he, wouldn't, he doesn't have a worldview of that. His worldview is this. My whole life I have been told about this soon coming king who's coming for his people. And when he comes, he's going to bring, he's going to break into this world. He's going to break into his world this kingdom called the kingdom of God. It's not going to be the full measure, but he's going to come. And if when this Messiah comes, when we receive him, heaven has now come to earth now. And we now are supposed to be this people that model what it's looked like to be a covenant people under the bannership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you are invited to live in this world of love, joy, peace, purity, wholeness in your mind. And we become what Jesus taught on the Sermon Mount. That's why it makes more sense when you see it like this. We are a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, that we offer, an, we offer an opportunity to people to see who God is, to experience heaven on earth now. It's not the full measure, but, and then when he comes again, we inherit the world that we are already living in partially now. So the goal of your life is, is it, God's goal is not to get you to heaven. It's, 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 it's just part of the, it's kind of like bowling. I didn't even realize this until a few weeks ago. Do you know that Martin Luther, he created bowling? He helped create bowling because he, he needed, uh, 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 he was playing with his kids one day and he, he created these rules. So you have lines, right? When you're bowling, I don't bowl up, but you have these lines so you can line up the bowl. The ultimate goal the end is for you. The, the, the end is for you to be like him. Those little lines are you going to heaven, but the ultimate goal is for you to be like him. The pins, excuse me, are, are, are you being like him. Those little lines put you on that right path of being like him. So the goal is to be like him. And so if the goal is correctly, if the goal is to be like him, and here's the thing, most of the things that you like, most of the things that your, your personality, your culture, all of that are God-given things. He actually gave us this world to enjoy. Why do we need like, I don't know, like 20 different types of purple and all these different types of flowers? It's not like God benefits from any of that, but he knew it would be of benefit to us here on the earth. Why did he create unique personalities? Why did he create people who are different? Why? Because he loves this thing called humanity, and within that, within your likes, your dislikes, some people like this, some people, you know, they like sports, some people don't like sports, some people like doing this, because it's all part of him giving you life here on earth as a place of enjoyment. He doesn't want to destroy the things that you like, but he wants to put them under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that you would become a unique representation, a unique ambassador. I can't reach the same people that you can reach, 
But if you are operating correctly, you have influence with people that I don't have influence with. And in that place of influence, you represent Jesus to those people. So here's another thing that everyone is given. Everyone in this world, everyone in this room, and everyone in this world is given a purpose. Everyone has purpose. No one comes to earth without a purpose. And an outgrowth of your purpose is, is what, 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 uh, what we see here in, in David. You and I have been given the responsibility, and I thought this like in the middle of the pandemic, I said, what a privilege that we get to live in the middle of COVID-19 and represent God. There's a reason. He picked, he picked the specific day you were born. He picked the specific time period you would live in. And here's the other part. This is the shortest part of your existence. It really is. You don't get to replay life. The good thing is, is if, if you've had a lot of negative things or bad choices, once you ask for forgiveness, he doesn't remember any of that stuff anymore. Amen. Your friends might, your family might, but he never does. <laughs> but everyone has a purpose, and part of that outgrowth of living in your purpose is that you are supposed to serve a generation. And God has this plan and purpose for earth that includes people made in his image. I don't know if you realize it, but when you were born, you stepped into a narrative that is playing itself out, both in your family, both in your nation, and the, and the ultimate purposes of God. In this room today, I don't know if you realize this, in this room, you are part of a narrative that God started when he started this congregation, this ecclesia called Bethel Assembly of God. That right now you're standing in a room or you're sitting in a room. We're partaking in a building where other people who when they serve the purposes of God for their generation, you get to be the beneficiary of that. I don't know if you even realize this, but early Pentecostals, they, 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 they tried to, some of them got their children taken away because they thought they were crazy. You would go to certain towns and they would say, stay away from those people. If not, you could come under the influence of delusions. We have come a long way. So you're in this storyline. They took away Pentecostals' children because they said, they said, we can't have these kids being raised up. And if you think about it, if, if you'd never seen anything like this, and, you know... Early Pentecostals, you know, you, this is very tame this morning. But you go to a Pentecostal meeting, like, you know, and they're jerking and they're rolling down aisles. And, and, and so they thought they were crazy. This is not an exaggeration, historical truth. They would take away their kids. So you entered into a storyline, whether you realize it or not, because of the choices people made to serve their generation. They got kicked out of their churches. They had to start their own, quote unquote, spirit-filled churches because they said, this is of the devil, and it was of God. And so there's a baton that you're handed both in your individual life for your family 
for the congregation you're a part of, and then also for a nation. The hope of God is that God's people would live faithfully in their generation, and as Paul said, demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. What does he mean by the manifold wisdom of God? The, the, it, it, it's this picture of this beautiful uh, different types of colors and displays of all different people coming into their purpose, uniquely becoming ambassadors of God for their generation, and representing them in a unique way to the people that they have influence with. I was thinking about this in my own personal life. This, this whole thought process for me started, I had been thinking about it for many years, but particularly I was in India, I think about five years ago, and I was getting ready to minister that morning at a leaders conference. And I thought to myself, this is so interesting how I've ended up here. Meaning this, like the family I started in. This What's taking place in this room didn't just happen today. My father's back there. I've got the story from him. Counters the Lord. Es escapes from Cuba. Counters the Lord on the, uh, you know, trying to escape from Cuba, ends up in quicksand. God, I need you. Encounters the Lord. Starts looking for God when he makes it to the U.S. And there's a man in a job training program. His name is Angel. This man's name is Angel. He told me, I think the only reason this guy was there is because I needed to hear what he had to say because he didn't learn anything from the job training program. <laughs> I'm just telling you how this plays out in everyday life, the narrative. I have this big picture, and I do believe that God is pouring out his spirit in just mighty ways in this season. I believe God is not done with America. I think we're seeing just the beginnings of one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit the world has ever seen. I'm very optimistic. I believe that we have to contend for Acts 8, verse 8, where there was great joy because the believers were in the city. I'm contending for a people that they would accuse us of filling a city with the doctrine of Jesus. Those are all biblical standards that just because we're not seeing it in mass doesn't mean God changed his mind about doing it. And he needs people who agree with that purpose. So we live in these times, but how it plays itself out is people who learn how to faithfully serve their generation. So this man says to my father, he says, what does he say to him? He says to him, you need to come to my church. My dad's seeking God, he's trying to find him. He's got his candles in his little apartment. He says, no, I don't go, you know, I don't go to other churches. He was sort of Catholic, I think. <laughs> Catholics told you not to go to other, you know, other churches. Communists told you there was no God. Isn't that amazing? If there's no God, leave me alone to my own delusions. <laughs> they know there's a God. <laughs> they fight really hard to keep the Bible from you from worship. No, there's no God. <laughs> no, you know there's a God. So finally... He decides, he's okay, I'll go once. Not too far from here. He goes to the church building on a Saturday. Dad, you can fix this at any point, some point here. <laughs> he thinks the people are crazy. The reason he thinks the people are crazy is because they have a wedding, but there's no alcohol at the wedding. Yeah, you're crazy. You're again, you look at the world a little different when you're not born again. And this guy comes up to him, come tomorrow, and he told me it freaked him out so much he left without even a meal. When you're a single guy and poor, you need a meal, you know. 
But he told me, for whatever reason, I woke up the next morning and went to Sunday school. And the pastor kept saying, somebody needs to get born again. He said, I made it through Sunday school. And then maybe some of you have the testimony like this. He said, I wondered that day when I was listening to his message, how is it that this man knows my whole life? How many can testify that one? <laughs> and he said, somebody here needs to get born again. And my dad said, do not lift up your hand, but his hand went up. <laughs> See, we laugh, but we should believe God for environments like that. Where there's such a convicting power. During Finney's revival days, they used to say, uh, it, it, there was no such thing as an altar call then. The altar call started under Finney's ministry because the people would listen to what he's saying and would run to the front and say, Please, like, I need the God that you're talking about. There was such an, they called it irresistible grace to respond to the message. Lifts up his hand, then he comes down, and then he really thought the people were crazy. Because now they're saying, you know, he, they, he prays the prayer, they're Pentecostal, they're not going to, you know, it's not a Baptist service, they're not going to just let him say the prayer in the back. He says the prayer now, you're our brother and you're our sister, you know, you're our brother now. He goes, they're crazy, who are these people? But he went home, and he asked the Lord, Lord, is this you? Yeah, it's, it's me, this is me. Think about all the people in that story who are serving the purposes of God for their generation in a day-to-day -day life. A man who kept asking another young man to come to church. A pastor who had his own challenges later in life, but prayed and had the right message that day. A church who brought in a young man who had no family in America and began to train and disciple him. You have a responsibility every day when you're in Christ Amen. to serve the world around you. Amen. Well, think about it. If none of that happens, I'm not standing in front of you. God actually requires people to do his work for generations. Amen. Many of you probably know, well, we're getting older, I'm getting older, and younger and younger every day, but so many in this generation don't even know this, who Oral Roberts is. But I'm going to make sure people remember him for our generation. Oral Roberts, if all you remember him as a healing evangelist, you remember him forever. But that's not all he did. If all you remember him was for building for ORU, you remember him forever. If all you remember of Oral Roberts was what he did in media, then you remember him forever. But Oral Roberts, he becomes world known through his healing ministry. He had a stuttering voice as a kid. His dad used to tell him, Oral, you're going to preach the gospel to the world. And the uncle would say, why are you lying to that boy? He can't speak anything. He's a stutterer. He became one of the greatest orators of our time because of the anointing on his life. So one of his great sermons is the fourth man. 
They would introduce him in the tents as God's man of faith and power. Had probably the largest tent. The reason they had tents back then is because there were not large buildings to even hold the crowds that they would have. You can still watch the miracles documented on YouTube. He would pray for the sick for hours and see miracles. The reason he's an innovator in media is because he was the first one that God spoke to and said, this is why you still have it today. I want to bring the cameras into the tents. They said, you can't do that. He said, I know what God said. And because there were no Christian media back then, he had to go to Hollywood to get someone to, to, to film his crusade. So he was the first one to, bring, to, to, to document the miracles in the tent. And he began to pioneer this whole thing because he, he got a letter from a lady. She said, Brother Roberts, I can't make it to your crusade. And I don't remember what city it was. But I believe there's no distance in prayer. So if you'll pray for me. And he prayed for her and she got healed. Now, think also how far we've come. In that time, as a whole, the body of Christ and most spirit-filled churches, it was more of a beat-you-up type of message, you're not good enough. So he would come on the stage, and this is what he would say. He said, God is a good God. See, so you just said amen to that. But back then, they had never really heard something like that. He said, I would say God is a good God, and God wants to do miracles for you. And the people would come alive. And he said, all the pastors behind me, it was like they wanted to throw knives at me. Because they said, it can't be true. This is how far we've come in certain things. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. God wants you well. And the people would come alive. They persecuted him, though. At 17, God had told him, you're going to build me a university. This is also groundbreaking because back then, spirit-filled people and Pentecostals, they shunned education. They thought academic mind and, and, and uh, a spirit-filled living were opposed to each other. They used to tell them. They used to say, they said, all you need, brother, is the anointing. Just pray and ask God. I'll touch you. Know, like, <laughs> There's some truth to that. How many of you can say something that's true, but it's not completely true? <laughs> In fact, when he started Oral Roberts University, their first marketing line is, come get your learning and keep your burning. Think about it because they were marketing to spirit-filled people. People thought he was crazy. How is this guy who's never finished college going to start a university? He put all his money into this land. If you go out to the land, I was just there a few weeks ago. If you go out there, there was nothing in there. It was just a cow pasture. This senator at the time of Oklahoma who I, I read this letter that he, he, he wrote. He said, I, I, and he, this is a believing man at the time. He said, I thought this man was crazy when he said he's going to start a university. The miracles. And he's walking the grounds one day. And he said, he said uh, uh, God, I don't know how to do this. He's agony, crying. 
He said, I want you to build this university how I created the, the, the world, through words and nothing. And he would pray in the spirit. God would go, this is going to be the student center. This is going to be this. This is going to be that. And you know who dedicated Oral Roberts University? Billy Graham. They were friends, actually. Billy has actually told the story that he, I don't know how this happened, but he sneaked into Oral's tent one night, and he was so impressed with what he saw. He said, God, give me an anointing like that. He goes, that's not what I've called you to do. But if you do what I've called you to do, you'll change the world. Billy Graham said, when they dedicated Oral Roberts University, he said, if this university ever goes away from the word of God, let it be accursed. And he stood up, Oral, and he said, I come into complete agreement with that. He was, he, was, he was one of the most criticized people of our generation. Here's the final frontier that he crossed. God told him to go on TV. Back then, it's not like TV now where there's hundreds of stations. Only three stations back then. So he was hardly getting any TV time. He had started his program. And this man in his ministry... This is a really funny story. The man liked Rolls Royces. So one day after church in Tulsa, he goes to the Rolls Royce show. And he's looking at Rolls Royces, and the day's finishing up. And they're, they're, he's talking to this man. And uh, they were talking about this car. He said, yeah, they're going to buy this for my, my wife. And he goes, well, you know, I can't quite afford a Rolls Royce. I just like them now. And the man says, well, what do you do? And he says, oh, I work for Oral Roberts Evangelistic Association. And the man got very upset. He said, do you know who I am? He goes, no, I don't know who you are. I just came to the Rolls Royce show. <laughs> he said, and I forget what his exact title was, but this was the man who had the power to decide what program times and what channel you could go on. Three channels. First, he got mad, and by the end of their conversation, he agreed to let Oral Roberts Ministries have an hour on prime time every night. Something good is going to happen to you. There's a miracle. God's going to do... You know the, the people who criticize the most? They, they were not unbelievers. It was believers. Not suggesting he's a perfect man, but they accused him of all sorts of different things and having bank accounts and the Swiss, you know, Swiss bank accounts and stuff. At the end of his life, they estimated the man had raised uh, about $5 billion for the cause of the gospel. In an interview towards the end of his life, of all the criticisms, he said, I will be the one laughing when I leave this earth. He says, because all my money is invested in that university that you see. And I will have fruit around the world after I leave this earth. Anyway, he's, there's a reason I'm telling this story. When he was, uh, I believe, uh, about, three day, about a week before he died, he fell down. Older, he's in his 90s then. And he had hurt, you know, when you're that age, they'd bring you to the hospital, he hurts his hip. And he's in the hospital room, and he's praying, he's playing all the songs 
of the old tent meetings. And uh, it's loud. And, you know, you're not supposed to be loud in a hospital. And so they asked his son, Richard, and his daughter, can, can you tell him to just be quiet? It's a hospital. He's playing songs. He's worshiping. He's praying. And so they, they come in, and he goes, Dad, they, they want you to be quiet. He said, I'm not going to be quiet. <laughs> he said, the Lord has told me I'm going home because I have done what he's asked me to do on the earth. Two days later, he transitioned into eternity. So you have this life that was well-lived, and maybe some of you know his story, maybe some of you don't. But before you can get to that story, at 16 years old, Oral had tuberculosis. Back then, tuberculosis was a death sentence. Maybe you've never heard this name. Evangelist George Muncy. That is the evangelist who prayed for Oral, and that night he got lifted off the bed of affliction of tuberculosis at 17. That man will be remembered in eternity because he prayed for a man that would have a worldwide ministry whose fruit still speaks today. What's the point of that? The point is, it doesn't matter if you're worldwide known. It doesn't matter if uh, anyone ever knows your name. The point is, if you faithfully serve your generation, you're actually impacting eternity with all the choices that you make. I went to a home-going celebration for a friend of mine this week. You've probably never heard of him. Pastor Clyde Odom. I met him, would have been about 14 years ago. Pastored in inner city church in um, Florence, South Carolina. I met him in Brazil on a, a, a trip, and we, we developed a relationship, and he was different, but he, he would welcome me into his church, and I ministered there many times. And it was different, but he, he, had a, he was serving his generation. This is what I heard this week. There's a man from the community who stood up, and he said, we, had these, we have community basketball have all the kids from the inner city come. He goes, but I had a problem because all they would do is fight. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't get them to, you know, to, uh, to actually play the game because they'd end up fighting each other in the middle of the game. So I called Pastor Clyde. And he said, I called Pastor Clyde, and he came over the next day. And he said, when he showed up, he said, listen, I don't waste my time unless God's called me to do something. So tell me what's going on, and I'll pray, and I'll get back with you. He said within a day, he called them. And uh, he called them. He said, I'm going to help you. I said, okay. He said, so the next Monday when they played these games, he said, Pastor Clyde showed up. He said, this is what he did. He said, he started this, this clock. He said, Put, start the clock. And for 10 minutes, he would give them a Bible lesson and pray for them. He said, within a few weeks, all the fighting had stopped. And the kids kept asking, where is Pastor Clyde? Is Pastor Clyde coming? And they called it 10 minutes with Pastor Clyde. <laughs> when Pastor Clyde had served the purposes of God for his generation, 
then he died. So you have a choice every day when you get up. Every day, will I make myself aware of the world around me? Some stories we'll hear and echo into eternity. Some stories that we don't even realize the influence that we have on people in front of us. But there's a story that God wants to be written. And when you, when you see yourself as an ambassador of God, every situation that you're in becomes an opportunity to extend the hand of God to people around you. Second Timothy 2, verse 20 says this. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Now catch verse 21. It's very key. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Notice there that what determines whether you are a vessel of honor is not God. God does not have classes of people when they come to earth. He doesn't say this one's going to have an extraordinary destiny, this one's going to have, this one's going to be like this amazing vessel of gold, and this one, yeah, they're just going to, I, I, I've probably said it here before, I've had the privilege of probably ministering and praying to thousands of people, different churches, and I have never, ever, I've given corrective stuff, but it's always redemptive. I've never actually looked at someone and said, the Lord would say to you, it's mediocre the rest of your life. <laughs> just shoot for a little faith. And maybe we'll get some of your debts paid off, but plan on keeping that credit card debt the rest of your life. It's never like that. It's always elevated. It's always to a high place. What does he say? My thoughts towards you are like the sand of a seashore. And the reason, well, here's the other thing. God will hold us responsible, not for the things that we do, but for the things that he called us to do. Amen. Say that again. God doesn't hold you responsible for the things you do, but for the things that he called you to do. And the reason he feels justified as a righteous judge to hold you responsible for that is because everything he's ever asked you to do, he's given you the power to do. Everything that you do for God originates with God himself. Of him, to him, through him are all things. Amen. This has never ever been determined by what you bring to God. It's what he brings to you when you submit to him. But you will be the one who chooses whether you become a vessel of honor. And there is a difference because there's a great passion in God. But not everyone chooses to live in this passion. There's, there's a passion in God for people to live in what I refer to as the high call. Mature people just don't want to go to heaven. Mature people actually want to fulfill the high call in their life. Amen. Do you know, 
you know, uh, part of maturing in God is actually the ability to receive how he sees you and the righteousness that he's given you. Many people live constantly condemned and overwhelmed with their own guilt, their own mistakes, and many of these things, God is not even relating to them in that way. Here's, a, here's another great story from history. Maybe you've never heard of her. Maybe some of you have. Great woman healing evangelist, which her mantle is still on the earth, Catherine Coleman. People still talk to me who have been in her meetings and tell me, they said, I have never sensed the glory of God like I did when I was in Catherine's meetings. The miracles. This is a historical fact that she lived in Pittsburgh and when she would fly out, she would just be going to her, her flight and in the terminal, there'd be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, people falling out every which way. It was such, it was such power that they told her, you're going to have to come in your own entrance because you're causing too much of a disturbance. <laughs> this, no exaggeration, historical fact. Tommy Reed, who's up in Buffalo, said one night, he said, I'd never be, this is a man who's seen moves of God. He said, I have never, I'm sensing the presence of God now talking about it. He said, I had never sensed what I saw one night in her meeting. And she, he said, for an hour and a half, she had a conversation with the Lord, forgetting that thousands of people were there, her best friend. And she would say, don't grieve my best friend. You can watch her on YouTube. Wheelchairs, things coming into alignment. All these different things. And people remember her that forever. But maybe you don't know the backstory. The backstory is a little girl, she gets born again and begins traveling with, um, I believe it's her, her, her brother and sister-in-law. They were in ministry. She had a passion for ministry and she was you know, involved as a young teenage girl. She's traveling with them everywhere. And uh, they, they write home, and I think she was 17 at the time, but she was still a teenager. They write home, they said, we don't have enough money to take care of us and Catherine, so we're going to have to send her home, and she didn't want to go home. So what she did was she started her ministry. <laughs> and she ends up, of all places, in Denver, Colorado, and starts a church there. Church grows to 2,000 people. That's impressive today. It was even more impressive back then. Something happened, though. This man... Everyone wanted to preach in her church. This man comes, and she begins to fall in love with this man. Only problem was he was married already. And she didn't find out he was married until after she'd fallen in love with him. And since she was young, not dismissing it, but he convinced her that he, since he never really loved his wife, that it really wasn't a marriage. And preachers, the preachers came, don't do this, don't do this. And she faints on the wedding day and cries and said, I should never have done this, but ends up marrying this man. Everything dries up. Because you know what he did when they got married? He told her she couldn't preach anymore. 
church falls apart, his church falls apart. She's in this terrible marriage. She's trying to do everything she can do to make it work. Finally, leaves the marriage many years later. She's in California. And she sits at Amy Simple McPherson's graveside. And when she's sitting there, she sees this grandma come along with the grandchild and says, I just wanted you to see the lady who led our whole family to the Lord. And when she watches this, she says, God, I want to leave a legacy like that in the earth. And she continues on with her life and she's walking one day and she says, God, I don't have anything else except my life. And my life is yours. And whatever you'd like to do with my life from this day forward, if you have something for me to do, I will do it. And God spoke to her that night. He says, as a matter of fact, I had this healing anointing that I asked three other men to take, and they wouldn't take it. So she begins her ministry again. Not easy, though. Ten years. She would show up in churches and preach revival meetings on one night. The next night, she would be kicked out because not only was she a woman back then, but she was a divorced woman. One man stood up. He said, you're Jezebel, and you're not preaching in this church. And they would kick her out of the towns. Ten years like that. She ends up at a church in Ohio, and she's doing some meetings for them. And they come to her very excited, and they said, they didn't have a pastor. So they said, God has spoken to us, and we're very excited. You are supposed to be our pastor. And he said, no, 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 you don't want me. You don't know my past. You don't, you're, I'm not, not it. And the, the elder said to her, we don't know the Catherine you're talking about. We just know the different Catherine that stands in front of us, and she's supposed to be our pastor. So she started ministering in this church and being faithful in this church and pastoring these people and loving these people, never thinking, I'm going to have a healing ministry. Do you know how her healing ministry started? It began one time when she was talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. All she was doing was talking about the Holy Spirit. And people began to come up to her after the meeting and say, I was healed of this, I was healed of this, I was healed of this. So if you've made mistakes in your life, we never make mistakes to justify our mistakes, but many of us have made mistakes we never thought we would make. God is not just the God of second chance, he's the God of third chance, fourth chance, five chance, eight chances. The man we just read about, Acts 13, when David had served the purposes of God for his generation. We know David made some mistakes. But it's often how you react to even the challenges of life that determine if you'll faithfully serve your generation. My observation of people over the years, sometimes they're doing really well and you know, they're engaging in the things of the Lord, they're having fruit, but something happens. Maybe something they didn't expect. 
Maybe they hear something about a pastor. And I'm not suggesting, uh, I'm not suggesting that, that we just dismiss these things and not being hurtful things. But they find out this happened to a pastor. So they get mad and they're, I'm not serving God anymore and all this stuff. And all these are opportunities I have found to choose to stay the course in the things of God. Sorry if you've ever been hurt by the body of Christ. I'm sorry if the leaders ever abused you. But for every five of those, there's a thousand serving their generation. It's your job to serve your generation. It's our job to serve our generation. And I tell her story because maybe you have made mistakes. Maybe you're on your fifth marriage or sixth marriage. And God goes, I'm here to help. And I still have a great purpose for your life. Got two amens for that. It's still true. Sometimes when you talk along those lines, why do you say people can just do... No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that in this world that we live in, people sometimes make choices, make mistakes, make this, make that. And the body of Christ should be the most welcoming place for people who think they've made the worst mistakes in their life. The hand should always be extended to those people. The hand should be, yeah, we, we know that happened in your life and we want you to take responsibility for it But God still has a great purpose for you. God can heal all the wounds. God can heal all the trauma. And you don't have to live as a victim to even your own mistakes. Here's a word. If you're over 50 years old. (laughs) No, we say that because it's important to note this. Why is it important to know this? Because in our culture, especially Americans... We have this thing that we're, let me put it this way. There's this little thing in culture that Americans live to live for a day where they do nothing. <laughs> Can't wait till I retire. I'm going to do everything I want to do when I retire. I'm just working really hard for retirement. I haven't taken a vacation in 20 years because I'm going to retire big time. <laughs> nothing wrong with saving. You should save all that stuff. But if you become so consumed in that concept, you ever heard the story? Great, great John Bevere story from when he worked at IBM. Actually, he's a very brilliant man, went to Purdue engineering degree. But he went to, before he went into full-time ministry, he's working at IBM in Dallas. And within a few months of his first months of working there, they have a retirement party for this man. Hey, you're retired. Oh, I forget how many years at IBM. True story. And he's a young guy, so he says, well, what are you going to do now that you retire? And he goes, this man goes into this diatribe of, I have hated this job for 20 years or whatever it was. I could not stand this job. I have waited all this time, saved my money so I could do now what I want. That's what he told him. Do you know within 24 hours, that man was no longer on the earth.
That's a lot of wasted time. But if you're over 50, how many heard this guy called Swift Wigglesworth? I didn't plan on going to this vein, but it's, it's in the room. It's good. Story time with Abner. <laughs> but I tell you what, all these stories are absolutely true. And we're the beneficiary of many of these people's choices. That's right. Do you know most, if you've never heard of Swift Middlesworth, amazing miracle ministry. He's actually more popular today than when he was alive. He was kind of a gruff man, English man. They gruff because he would punch people in the healing lines. It's not, I'm not making that up. You laugh. The first man, he, he's documented 23 people raised from the dead in his ministry. The first man he raised from the dead, he picked them up three times before he actually rose from the dead. After the first time, he'd be like, okay, how do you be pastoral here telling these people he's going to die and I've made a mistake? But he had this tenacious faith. He didn't know how to read till later in life. That was why the Bible was the only book he ever read. But most of what you read about in his miracle ministry did not happen until after he turned the age of 50. For years, he was just him and his wife pastored a church in, in England. So if you're at a season in your life where you think this is your life, you must think again. Some of those great people I love seeing is on mission trips, older people, praying for the sick, casting out devils and prophesying over people because they refuse to live the American way of what you're supposed to retire. We'll land the plane here. Actually, let's look at, before we close today, let's, let's look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 11, actually. Hebrews 11, and I'll read... Uh, Verse 39, if you're not familiar, Hebrews is like the great chapter of faith. Talks about all these people. I, I constantly read it because there's always something fresh that the Lord will give me out of it. But it talks about all these people who died in faith. But then the writer makes this very interesting statement. He said, all these, having attain, attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Think about what he's saying there. When they lived on the earth, these people of faith saw something or believed God for something when you say saw, you mean they believed it could be possible in their lifetime. They believed that God would make something available to them. And they believed God for it. Yet, it did not happen in the time period that they lived on the earth. But they made choices along the way that they created an environment in the earth that someone after them could fulfill what they had believed God for. That's why 
one of the, 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 the creeds of the church. The church, both in heaven and on the earth. Why? Because they understood this continuous story that God is writing and that every generation is given a baton handed to them from the previous generation that when they fulfill their purposes, that they... Think about what I just said. Oral Roberts brings this message that God is a good God. He heralds this message He's accused by people like, oh, God's, no, no, God wants to beat you up. No, he doesn't. God doesn't beat up children. He's not cruel. He's not mean. He doesn't cause you to get in an accident so you can learn something. I mean, that, that's... Can he use anything? Yeah, I think that's what people mis misunderstand because God meets them in a place of pain or hurt that God caused that pain. God is never the author of pain, confusion, this, that. God didn't make you go into a car accident. I guess why that's just true. I mean, think about it. If you have a child, you push him, you, you push him down you know, in, a, in a car and get him in a car accident to show him, I'm going to show him. That's crazy world. God does not abuse children to prove something to them. God will work in any situation. He'll work in your worst mistakes, worst choices, all that stuff. But it's not, he doesn't, he doesn't set up chaos in your life to like, I'm going to show that. I've still never met anyone with cancer in their body. Go, hey, what is God teaching you? They're teaching me I want to, I, that cancer is horrific and it's demonic. But he brings this message to the earth. What are we today? Today, we're the beneficiaries of that message because he heralded that message. It became this pioneering message in the earth. And now, because of what he taught, it was given to this generation that probably for most people in this room, I know God is a good God. Amen. What do you say? A righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. My dad told me that day, after he thought they were crazy because they didn't have any alcohol, he went home. Nobody told him he threw out all the alcohol and he never drank again. I never saw alcohol in my parents' house. It's never been a struggle for me, never been a challenge for me. Why? He stepped into a place of righteousness. Now the next generation doesn't ever have to worry about becoming an alcoholic because it's not even part of our awareness. So there are parts, the, 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 the message I'm emphasizing to you is you leave the world in deficit when you don't faithfully serve the purposes of God for your generation. There are pioneers that gave everything so there could be a spirit-filled church. That's right. Pentecostal church in Newark, in the middle yes. of Newark, yes. gave everything they had, bought, sacrificed, and this. So what? So there could be generation after generation after generation that could live in the things of God, that wouldn't have to suffer the shame of being, think, people thinking they're crazy. Yes. You want a biblical example? 
Probably one of the greatest biblical examples is, is David. You'll never find one verse in Scripture. This is my third closing, so don't worry. I'm almost done. You'll never find one verse in Scripture where David was told to build a temple for the Lord. It's not in there. One day, David looks at his beautiful home. He had a beautiful home, mansion, lots of wives. That's a little crazy world, but it's the world he lived in. He goes, he's looking at the, he's looking at the tent where there's worship going on. And he goes, God, the place where God lives, because the Ark of the Covenant was there, is, is in this tent, and I got this beautiful home. I want to build a, a place for the Lord. First, the prophet says, go do all that's in your heart. Then God speaks to the prophet that night, comes back to David, and he says to him, you've shed too much blood, but if you put everything in place, your son will, fi will finish a temple for me. But if you, if you watch what David says, even after God's told him, you're not going to be on the earth when this thing is completed. What does he say? I will build a temple for the Lord. Knowing he was not going to be on the earth when it was completed. What's he doing? He's making choices that when he leaves the earth, the effect of his choices are still taking place in the earth. Is the same thing going to be said about your life? That when you leave the earth, the choices that you make are still affecting the world around you. Look at Deuteronomy 29. We'll close with this verse. Fifth closing. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. He's establishing a biblical principle there. That when you trust, that when you believe and walk out revelation, not only does it belong to your lifetime, it can be your children's children so they might live by the ways of the Lord. Today, you're not here by accident. We're not in this room by accident. We're not in this room because we need a religious thing to be a part of. We're in this room because God has brought us together to serve the purposes of God for our generation. And sometimes they take on these big displays, but often they are built in the routine moments of everyday life of ministering to the person in front of us because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, it's like you're doing it to me. And the Apostle Paul's instructions, do everything, what? As unto the Lord.